Welcome to Anthrobites, a new series from the Anthropod team designed to make anthropology more digestible. And each Anthrobite episode will tackle a key concept, text, or theme in anthropology, breaking it down into bite-sized chunks, discussing its applications in theory and in practice. I'm your guest host, Ruthie Flynn, and I'm sitting down today with Dr. Graham Warren, Senior Lecturer in the Department of Archaeology at University College Dublin. Our topic of interest is hunter-gatherer research, namely the place this highly diverse area of study still holds within the field of anthropology. So the first place we can go to is the infamous question of what is a hunter-gatherer? This isn't a question I find straightforward no, at all. Perhaps a question I should have, given given what I do and given how I describe myself as a, a specialist in hunter-gatherer archaeology, it's a question you'd think I had a, a better or a more polished answer for. But it is, as you say, it's a term that has a, a particular history and it arrives out of, it, it's often now seen to arrive out of um, the ideas of the 18th century Enlightenment and attempts by which people described and explained human diversity and in particular the idea that in some of those early writings about the development and transformation of human societies over time that hunter-gatherer served as some kind of of origin point from which we developed be it civilization or political structures, lots of different ideas there. And often the, the hunter-gatherer then being seen to be something very, very different from the kind of ideals of the, the settled Western agricultural land-owning, property-owning, white upper-class male, effectively. So th- th- there is that background to it. And if you if you grew up in different intellectual traditions, different terms and different approaches would be used. So in Soviet anthropology, they focused more to the extent on class relations than they did simply on hunting and gathering. And there's this this tension that lies at the at the base of it, which is uh, at one level, it seems very easy to say, well, a hunter-gatherer is someone who hunts and gathers. They don't use domesticated plants or animals. They just rely on wild food overall. And that's fine, but that's not very interesting in and of itself. What we what we often tend to be trying to understand really is how hunting and gathering groups live, how they organize their society, how they organize their subsistence, their worldview, all of those sorts of things. So it's not necessarily the subsistence, it's the it's the hunter-gatherer society. And the issue is that we've realized over the years that there's no simple mapping between a, a mode of subsistence, between relying on hunting and gathering, and particular forms of social organization. There's exceptions to prove every rule. There are some patterns, some generalizations. Some people believe in those more than other people believe in those. But there's not a one-to-one match on those sorts of things. So it's a, it's it's tricky to come up with a, a, a robust kind of definition. But often people think of it as being a useful heuristic, a useful way of of thinking about human diversity but it's very hard to definitively link and define what these things are and this still plays out so we've in the in the journal of um ishka we've seen in the last couple of issues debates about whether a particular group actually are hunter-gatherers or not you know whether they should therefore be appearing in the pages of the journal almost it's a it's an ongoing and persistent problem of definition 
wanted to start off by introducing you not only as a senior lecturer at UCD's archaeology department, but also an editor of the Hunter-Gatherer Research Journal, which is connected on an institutional level to ISHGER or International Society of Hunter-Gatherer Research. So I wanted to ask you about the goals of these organizations. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. ISHGER is the, the International Society for Hunter-Gatherer Research, which is seeking to promote to develop, to sustain the, the community of hunter-gatherer researchers, and in particular to assist in maintaining the CHAGS conferences, the conferences on hunting and gathering societies, which originated, you can take them all the way back to the famous man, the Hunter Conference in 1966, and they ran on after that, but fell into something of a hiatus in the early 2000s and were were re-energized with assistance from the Venegren Foundation in um, in the early 2010s and have been running on since then. There was one in Liverpool, one in Vienna in 2015, and then coming up this year in Penang in Malaysia um, will be CHAGS 12. So CHAGS and, and Ishka kind of kind of sit together and they and they both really exist to to support and, and nurture the, the wide networks of hunter-gatherer researchers that, that are out there. Totally. And as an archaeologist, do you find major differences in theory and in practice of studying hunter-gatherers in archaeology rather than anthropology? Yeah, there are. There are inevitable differences there. And it's a in in part that's about the nature of the the data that we deal with the level of resolution of that data our reliance on material culture on the one hand and actually being able to speak to people on the other hand so there are there are key distinctions in the approaches between the disciplines the the hope would be that they they can speak to each other that you can learn to navigate the differences in the in the nature of those data and try and make sense of the the, the tensions between the different approaches and in particular obviously with with anthropological insights into hunting and gathering societies we're reliant on the on the present or the near present we can't reach back into deep time without the insights of archaeology so if we want to understand the diversity of hunter gatherers across time and space we have to use archaeological approaches to understand what truly may be widespread amongst hunter-gatherers or what might simply be recent developments overall so the the two disciplines need to work together often archaeologists have been a bit um maybe a bit lazy it's a slightly harsh term but the way in which we use analogies the way in which we make comparisons between hunter-gatherers past and present is sometimes a little simplistic and we we run the risk then of simply taking the observations of contemporary or near contemporary hunter-gatherers and imposing them back into the past. So we turn the past into the mirror of the present and we turn past hunter-gatherers into versions of those that we think we observe in the modern world. Right, exactly. And so regarding the fieldwork, I wanted to get your perspective on the problem areas of hunter-gatherer studies, especially in the modern world. I, I can't speak with authority on the difficulty of working with modern groups of, of hunter-gatherers. That's not been in. That's not been in my experience. My my primary research takes place in areas where, sadly, hunter-gatherers are are long gone. But there's a, a rich tradition of work in areas where there are 
indigenous groups still practicing hunter-gathering and the ways in which they then become bound up in and contribute to and in some cases lead fieldwork projects trying to explore their past so there will be there'd be others who'd be better placed to talk to you about in terms of the the archaeology of of hunter-gatherers there's a an enormous range of different challenges and opportunities out there in terms of field work it tends to be the case still that in many parts of the world the archaeology of hunter-gatherers has particular challenges around the the ephemerality of some of the the evidence that's left behind in the areas I work, for example, in in northwest Europe, in Britain and Ireland, very often that the, the soils themselves on sites that are 10,000 years old have been so transformed by ongoing soil processes that identifying structural features can be very, very difficult. There's often very little surface expression of these sites. So actually finding them in the landscape can be can be incredibly challenging. The my my most recent substantial filbert project is in the Cairngorm Mountains of Scotland. It is a huge upland area covered in peat with no one living there and covered in snow for most of the year. And the sites we found there were identified by a footpath worker who was maintaining the, the paths for people walking across the area who happened to notice two or three pieces of flint about a centimetre long and had the, the wherewithal to realise that they shouldn't have been there, that they must indicate human activity. And from that, we were able to conduct a series of fieldwork seasons and excavate a site and identify a, a small hunter-gatherer house, a, a little building, maybe three metres by two metres across. And it gives us a really nice insight into what people were doing in the mountains and all of those sorts of things. But we could never have done it without the footpath worker who had the sharp mind to realise that those pieces of flint were turning something potentially significant. So regardless of the, the theoretical model of what you want, might want to find out about hunter-gatherers, often simply finding and dealing with the sites can be can be challenging. Mm -hmm. Yes, especially with artifacts that are old and at some level very ambiguous. Because in many parts of the world, mm -hmm. the the material record is limited because of the, the difficulty of finding good context where organic materials mm -hmm. are preserved. And we, we know that many of the items in material culture that hunter-gatherers use would have been made of, of wood or leather or bone or antler. And these items only rarely survive in the archaeological record. So we end up with where we do have those sites where that material is provided, but it survives. We get these remarkable rich records. Again, in a northwest European context, one of the most famous examples would be Starkar in northern England, which has been a, a really rich repeated insight into different aspects of hunter-gatherer lives because we have a broader suite of material surviving but that's not always the case and we are sometimes uh, you know limited to to stone it's it's called the stone age for a reason <laughs> exactly so uh in the same vein i'd love for you to tell us about the impact of hunter-gatherer research um and i remember the first day of lectures you you told us why should we still care which is a common question even in the field of anthropology like so how would you answer that question the study of hunter-gatherers if we accept that this is a kind of made-up category right. and it's a, it's a heuristic it's something that that helps us think about this then what we're talking about here is is the study of humanity and that that's a fairly good and useful thing to be doing over time mm -hmm. and really about the the study of the the diversity of humanity the the range of ways in which human groups organize themselves 
and the range of ways in which we can try and understand that organization and and whether that organization has regularities or patterns are there links between particular forms of subsistence and particular ways of living are there links between particular environments and particular patterns of subsistence and again some some folk would be more inclined to to trust in those types of generalizations to explore those generalizations to try and deal with deal with narratives at that slightly bigger scale others are more interested in in local detail and variation against that and that's fine that's different people's perspectives and what they want to try and do and that that diversity in itself is is very very useful but there's a i've always liked the the definition of anthropology as being the you know the comparative study of common sense and trying to to use these insights into different forms of hunting gathering lifestyles as prompts to question some of the the taken for granted we have about the way in which we inhabit this earth i think is very important hunter gatherers have always had this role of being somehow held up as our origins as in some way giving us insight into it's a problematic term but the you know the natural state of humanity take one example many hunter-gatherers are associated with comparatively little political hierarchy or structure they're described as being very egalitarian overall well is that the origin point of humanity is that the starting point from which we have developed political institutions of different types and we've developed inequality overall that that's a key kind of debate for understanding where we are where we are at present and hunter-gatherers keep on getting caught up in these ideas in in different ways i'm very struck we have a we have a session at chags um this summer looking at the relationship between anarchistic theory and hunter-gatherers and one of the papers that's been contributed to that session i'm really looking forward to is looking at how the primitist movement in north america is seeing people move away from urban life and actually go back to live out in the landscape to live in the wild drawing on observations about how hunter-gatherers lived as inspiration for their movement away from civilization. Now that's a really interesting twist. So our observations about the nature of hunting and gathering societies, including our claims that there's a deep time perspective to these, which, you know, these aren't all certainties, they're now being used as the basis for action in the present, determining how people live. So there's all kinds of nice circles and and things to consider. Really, it's understanding the diversity of forms of human organisation and hunting and gathering, depending how widely you want to take that definition, that includes a huge diversity of human lives. And for that reason, it's really important to study. And from that, the importance of of things like Chags or Ishka or the Hunting and Gathering Research Journal. The importance of these is, is if you're trying to study humanity, you have to be interdisciplinary. You have to work in networks. You have to learn from other people. So we, we spoke a little bit about archaeology and anthropology, but we've also got genetics. We've got linguistics. We've got physical anthropology. We've obviously got contemporary hunting and gathering groups and their struggles and difficulties they face where they often live in very marginalized situations. So no one discipline, no one person, no one perspective can engage with all of that. So you need to have collaboration, you need to have cooperation, you need to bounce and spark ideas off each other. And some of that nowadays happens through social media, and that's great. But some of it happens best when you meet 
people when you talk to them either formally in a conference or perhaps over a glass or something in a bar afterwards but you you build the networks you build the the opportunities to develop new insights and that's that's i think why why ishka is important and why chags is important That was Dr. Graham Warren of University College Dublin speaking about the significant place hunter-gatherer studies still holds today in the world of anthropology. You've been listening to Anthrobites, produced by the Society for Cultural Anthropology in collaboration with the American Anthropological Association. This episode was made by me, Ruthie Flynn, with executive assistance from Dr. Siobhan McGurk. You can find supporting documents, teaching and learning resources for this and other episodes on our website, cultanth.org. You can subscribe to Anthropod and Anthrobytes on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud, and you can follow the Society for Cultural Anthropology on Facebook and on Twitter. 